here, everyone. Can you hear me? Anyone not hear this particularly well? So uh, just a quick announcement. There, there is Alexis, which is a funny way of starting a note, but it's, <laughs> this is the car Alexis, not... Uh, <laughs> so it's not another version of me. Um, there is Alexis in the teacher staff parking lot whose lights are on. So if you happen to have Alexis <laughs> and you don't want its battery to die, then uh, just so you know, it's in the parking lot. It's really nice to see so many smiling faces. It's amazing what a smiling face does to the mind. And being on stage doesn't come naturally to me. <laughs> this is quite a venue, it feels like. Last night when we were doing the celebration and we were striking midnight, I had this image of balloons you know, dropping from the ceiling. It has a kind of <laughs> vaulted atmosphere here. Maybe at the end of the Dhamma talk, balloons will fall. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, just chatting a bit with my my wife, my partner that's on retreat here, she knows that I'm not such a big fan of speaking uh, in groups. And so she was reminding me that uh, years ago when I was um, checking in with uh, one of my teachers at that time, uh, it was Saito Tejaniya, and this was in, in Burma, and you know, as I was, a, I had ordained. I was a monk at that time. And as a monk, you kind of get the inside scoop on, I don't know, what monks and nuns do in their <laughs> in their off <laughs> their off time, which is sometimes a kind of crazy stories, which more like spiritual powers, and who knows, like if that, if how many of those things are accurate, I don't know. Um, it's always, always secondhand to hear this amazing story from someone who had heard from someone else. And I'd always try and track it down and, and I'd never get to the source. But anyway, so I was reminded that uh, uh, in, there's a time when I had, was reporting to Sayadaw Tejaniya that, you know, I don't, I don't, all these spiritual powers, that, I don't, that doesn't impress me. If I could get in front of a group <laughs> and just have the capacity to be with a phobia like that or have it uh, be understood and diminish, uh, that, is, that is powerful. So I kind of feel like here I am. <laughs> and practice makes a difference. 
I can still feel like the palms are sweating a bit and it's definitely some nervousness. On the uh, ride in to the retreat, uh, I saw a, a panhandler holding a sign, and this thought keeps coming back. It come back a number of times during the retreat. So he was holding a sign that said, "This is harder than it looks," and. You were just passing by quickly. So I didn't, I didn't get a closer look, but I could read that sign. And it's amazing what a kind of honesty you know, does to, to the heart. And it's just simple, like, this is harder than it looks. I mean, if I had a sign behind me. <laughs> And I many times in, in interviews, not that it's always hard, but that, you know, and oftentimes we don't see that in each other. You know, that it's harder than it looks to be in these forms, in these bodies. All the emotions that we have, emotional connections that we make, the friendships, the loss that comes through all that, being in a society that's not fair to all beings, not even remotely the case. And yet when we walk around, and I think when we're not seeing the world accurately, it's just so easy to forget that most people might hold up a sign at any given moment that's saying that this is harder than it looks. We can't read into each other's hearts and minds so easily. We make assumptions. We hold ourselves apart. A lot of that's out of safety, you know, out of retreating a little bit, or fear. I don't remember how long ago it was, but about a year ago or so, Eugene had had, uh, asked me to speak at uh, his group on Wednesday night or Monday night group. I can't remember the day, the, the night. This is a large group, and I said, Eugene, I'm still new at this. It's a very big group. I don't know if I can, I can do that. Uh, and it's beautiful. You know, he said, just come, and we'll be, we'll be real. You know, a message like that really lands. Just come and be real. So that's what the Dhamma invites us 
to do is to come and be real. I don't have to be up here and be perfect. You don't have to sit there and be perfect. (laughs) It's a wonderful gift to be given that opportunity to hear that message that in this life that we're living, we can learn how to touch in to our own life exactly the way it's happening. And all the suffering that we're experiencing, all the contraction that arises, the mind that hops around that doesn't stay steady. There's an interview today, I hope she doesn't mind uh, my sharing, saying that her mind felt maybe has been diagnosed as being ADHD. And uh, they sort of landed on the idea of, well, maybe letting the mind be like a hummingbird you know, that moves around. Is that possible to let the mind be perfect in that way? It's a hummingbird mind. It doesn't have to look perfect. When I at first um, was approaching the Dhamma, I had come from, uh, <clears throat> from medical school and I had been studying and really on the track to become a doctor for years. And there were wholesome motivations in that, but a lot of it was just the, the track I was kind of selected for and a lot of pressure in that. In a way, I wasn't really living my own life. I think I was living a, an idea or a fiction of something that I was meant to be. Um, some role, some identity that I'd been placed into. Not kind of, you know, I don't want to say it was, I don't want to do it out of, of blaming, but it, I, it felt like I was at a remove from my own life. And that was one of the most significant uh, realizations when I first came in contact with the Dhamma and I was encouraged to just be myself, 100%. And I I really shed a lot of tears around the release of no longer having to live up to something. So some ideal, some form. And that's what we're doing in our practice. As the mind gets settled on retreat day after day, a lot of the assumptions that we're walking around with, the personalities that we carry, 
the judgments that we have, the aversions, quick responses, the shells that we wear, the armoring. Just bit by bit, we start to realize they're not actually serving us that well. It feels protective. looking for something to say. I'm astonished that, uh, you know, on this path of practicing the Dhamma, we don't have to actually go looking that hard. It's so easy in life to make a project out of our own life, or out of our family, or out of our work. So it's easy to do that in the Dhamma, doing my project. And I think just being here in this environment, in this space, where the invitation is to, to touch in moment by moment, letting the heart soften, being receptive, and everything we need to know starts to, to show itself. And before my very first retreat, I was so conditioned by the idea that learning only happens through books and study. I remember standing there at the, outside the, this, this retreat center, thinking what possibly could be learned by 
spending days in silence, is there anything that can be learned? (laughs) Here I am, you know, 15 years later, I'm definitely still learning. I appreciate your patience. I've uh, it's meant a lot to me to kind of really take this full journey to arriving on this stage. Yes, um, a number of times the teachers were asking me, do you know what you're going to talk about? And I love saying, no, I don't know yet. (laughs) 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 And I just really have this conviction that I, I, from my own journey, that I want to do part of this role, very raw and naked this way. Not in no way to say that this is the right way, but for my process, it's been important to me. I want to make sure I offer you something because it's not supposed to be about me. Well, I think I'll do at this point in order to make sure I'm speaking to you directly. Um, I think I'll take some questions. Um, it's anything that can be about anything at all, actually. Yeah. Then. First of all, thank you so much. Mm-hmm. 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 Mm. Um, uh, my question is
Mm. Yeah. Is this a 10-day retreat? How many days is it? Is it nine? How long? How long retreat is this? Nine days? Eight. Eight. What day are we on? <laughs> I'm just thinking that we're not we're not quite at the end yet. <laughs> so, um, did anyone not hear that question? It's about a, uh, just the anxiety and asking an expert on anxiety. <laughs> uh, and without going too much towards the idea of that the retreat's uh, you know moving to an end, but you know I, I think one of the ways of relating to practice that what we're doing here it, it is a training you know it, it, this isn't where we live our lives out um, unless we really decide to to go for it and we want to commit ourselves for this life, you know, in a retreat center, in a monastery. But So we live our lives out at home and in the workplace where the, the conditions are not like this. It'd be lovely, you know, if the results from the practice uh, stayed with us perfectly, you know, as the quality of mind that that is achieved on retreat, if it could just stay up, you know, and, and continue. And yet, you know, each time that we are mindful, each time that we are bringing that clarity to a moment, the way I relate to it is, it is another moment of changing the track of the mind. So instead of meeting a moment with aversion, we're meeting it with compassion. Right? Each moment that we do that, it may not be fireworks in any given moment, it may not be something extraordinary, when I track, you know, in the last 15 years, and I have really dedicated a lot of time to practice, um, I, I don't notice it breath by breath or day by day, but in bigger chunks of time. And I remember the Dalai Lama once describing, when someone was asking this question, it's, it's, it seems like it's very hard to be practicing at home or things are not making a difference. You know, he, he just offered this reflection of really measuring it in periods of years, you know, looking in five years or ten years. You know, I love that, that, um, that sense of offering of time and patience that these habits of mind are very deep. And if we want the habits of the mind to change, it's something we need to live with very close to. You know, if we love someone, we want to always be with them. And I think if the Dhamma and awareness connects with you that deeply, there is that desire to live with it, to, to hold it close. And so in moments 
you know, we'll, we'll spend some time towards the end of the retreat when we're talking very practically about daily life practice. But when it, when it becomes so clear that it is of our own benefit to be aware of anything in a moment, to check in, to know what's going on. I just find over and over again that tendency to be willing to even feel the unpleasantness of an, of an unpleasant mind state, that it's just hard to want to touch in. So we want to bounce out, we want to do something else, we want to move on to the next thing. But I gain more and more confidence that, no, this is beneficial to know what's going on. I've used the example sometimes of uh, my partner sitting in front of me, so, <laughs> of being in an argument. And, um, you know, we can get into argument even though we're both practitioners. <laughs> uh, I'm just amazed that I can get, you know, be in argument. And their awareness will, will start to show up and I don't want to give up the argument yet because <laughs> it'll reveal that, you know, I was just previously foolish. And so I just keep it going for a little while until... <laughs> but I know at that point it's more like I'm, pl- I'm kind of playing out my part, my duty in being a good argument, you know, like holding forth. And but at some point the awareness is, is there again. And it's just like that over and over again. And I think almost against our best intentions, our practice shows up <laughs> and supports us. <laughs> So, I hope that helps in some way, yeah, yeah. Yeah. If I, if I did hear it, you love the, um, that quality of raw and naked. And why is so important for me? Yeah, now I'm remembering, I'm not quite sure I finished the story that I was trying to tell before. <laughs> this is what being raw and naked looks like. <laughs> um, I think what I was trying to say about being in medical school, I don't know where I went with that. Oh, I think I did finish it. <laughs> Be right, Utejaniya, when I was with him, it was, I was encouraged to, to let in every part that I could, I could just sit there. And I had actually had some other, other types of practice that I was already exploring. I think the thing that really was so pronounced about that it was a sense of a true coming home, right? That I was, I mean, here I had lived in my own mind and body all these years. I don't know how we do this, but in some ways we're not, we're not really at home, you know, with everything that's happening.
this is what the training is about, right? That we begin to learn that there's another, uh, another option to the difficult, right? The difficult does not need to be met with escape. It doesn't need to be met with pulling back or crushing. The difficult can be met, it can be open to, it can be looked at clearly, you know, and responded to if appropriate. So in some ways, like the being naked is a willingness to touch again those things that I think there's such a deep habit and conditioning to not be there and be present for. And a lot of it can come from shame. You know, shame is a very powerful force. We don't want to see certain things about ourselves. We want to pretend they're not there. And after a certain time, pretending is just too hard. It's too tiring to keep it up. I remember many times I felt like to truly land an experience in being at home inwardly, that sense of freedom would be this, there's nothing, there's nothing now inwardly that's being propped up. There's just a sense of complete ease and resting within. And that's a, that's kind of a raw nakedness to me that, uh, and allowing all the parts, you know, the things that I would, I would prefer not to have seen before. And just see it now, you know, see it. And part of that reflection that we've been offering of right view is to really see things for what they are. You know, they're, they're habit patterns of mind. Some of them are very difficult. Um, we're not proud of at times. And yet all they are just when they're seen clearly, it's just a, just a a current arising. And we see it again and again, we can become more conscious, more conscious. I think there's some kind of teaching, I think in Tibetan teachings, it says, with particular emotions, we have to see certain things, or even to begin to recognize that it's there, it's like takes a hundred thousand times, it's like maybe just tapping on our shoulder. We almost don't even want to see it. Maybe the next hundred thousand times we start to orient towards it and recognize, oh, that's, oh, there you are. Oh, yeah, I see you. And then finally, that final hundred thousand times, you know, where we begin to really have the capacity, the strength to, to open and its, and its nature starts to reveal itself. It's, it's, it just takes a lot of willingness to show up again and again. Thank you so much for being real. Mm. Uh, I'm curious about your journey to Burma Mm -hmm. and that experience of leaving everything familiar to go off to this uh, meet with this teacher and the challenges you have and how it changed you and aside from the teachings, when you left and came back, <laughs> changed your study and your teaching. Right. And just uh, that whole 
<laughs> so, did anyone not hear the question? <laughs> Wanting to hear my whole life. <laughs> um, Yeah, there's. I think almost for, for almost all of us, there is a, there's a huge leap that, at some point, we take. That um, is out of the the norm, right? Out of the, the the conditioning of the culture that that we're in, and you know, being here on retreat is not for most of us, what has been encouraged and endorsed by whoever, you know, our family or elders or the society. Some of us are lucky, <laughs> luckier than others, and sometimes we get some encouragement. Um, but that it is a, it's an enormous thing to take that risk, and for me there was, it, it was huge, you know, to be willing to, to I had no idea about the spiritual path is a specific thing. Um, And I was really letting go of a lot of certainty, a lot of professional success. But, you know, there was a deep intuition that that knew that things were not right where I was. And, you know, I think that's a compass that in some ways is guiding each of us when we start to walk on the path. It's like we start to listen to something that's pointing us in the direction of Dhamma, in the direction of, it doesn't even need to be the Dhamma, you know, it's just the direction of something that is honest and real. Yeah, and I'd say a lot of it was just the stumbling that happened. I had two brothers and they were somewhat similarly kind of stumbling in life and going through a, a crisis at the same moment. My poor parents. <laughs> at some point we all had long beards. We had gone to India and we had, were wearing dreads and trying to be sadhus and totally unsuccessful <laughs> at being sadhus. And a sadhu is like the holy, you know, holy men in India. And, Oh my God, that was, we were not, we we're not cut out to be a sadhu. <laughs> so, you know, it's just stumbling and just keep, you just kept stumbling until things felt more right. And then, you know, it's, when you hear the truth, it's like, it does resonate. You hear someone speaking something that's true and go, yeah, that's true. And I think that's what was happening for me when I started hearing the Dhamma. And I'd heard just one brief uh, description of, this teacher in Burma, that he wasn't really known at that time, and the one, one word about him or something is like, he's natural, or something like that. And my ears just perked up. And I said, I, I, I wanna go, I wanna go. And a lot of, you know, I don't wanna go too far into s- the story of things, but you know, just by listening. Um, Yeah. It's a very rich journey that we're on. And when we're really willing to make it, 
I think extraordinary things do happen. Just um, kind of sit together for a few minutes. Kindness this evening has been very palpable. I really appreciate that. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.